Hello, hello, and welcome to the Love Doctor Podcast, research-informed advice that can lubricate any conversation about sex. My name is Leah Tidy, and I'm glad to have you here. Today on the show, I answer your questions about figuring out your identity, and if you're bisexual, or heterosexual, or demisexual, and what the heck all of that means. I also share my interview with the devastatingly handsome and hilarious Levi Hildebrand. You do know that that we're married, right? Yeah, so I'm basically married to celebrity, and honestly, it's pretty awesome. Now, we talk about our relationship, its ups and downs over the years, as well as Levi's recent video about wearing the same outfit for 30 days, and why nobody said anything. But first, today in sex. What we wear says a lot about us, right? Well, actually, that's not as true for some folks as it is for others. Depending on your gender, race, sexual orientation, ethnicity, and socioeconomic status, just to name a few, people can make assumptions about us based on what we wear. This was very apparent in the recent YouTube video Levi made about wearing this same outfit for an entire month, and nobody said anything. So what is the deal with gender expectations and clothing, and how does it affect our sex lives? For those who don't know, Levi ticks most of the privilege boxes, being a white, cisgender, heterosexual, middle-class man, and that was part of the point he was making. He can wear the same clothes both in the video and in real life, and nobody will make assumptions about how much money he makes or make sweeping judgments about his race or hit on him because he's showing a little leg. Well, I, I may have hit on him a few times, but that's different. Anyway, there was a reason that I didn't take part of this 30-day same outfit challenge, other than, you know, being busy with making this podcast and, you know, doing my other work. And that's because people would probably notice. As Levi says in the video, Now, not that Leah was specifically averse to doing this challenge, but in general, it just seems like our society is oddly obsessed with what female humans decide to put on their bodies. And just from my own experience of being part of the YouTube channel and now on Instagram and with this podcast, I get people asking me constantly about where I get my clothes from, what's my secret to good thrift shopping, what's my skincare regime, what's my hair care regime, and the list goes on and on. Nobody has asked Levi these questions about his skin or his hair care regime, I can assure you of that. So what's the deal with folks caring about what I, as a woman, put on my body and how I groom myself? Well, if we're constantly worrying about what our hair looks like, what our body looks like, and that is falling disproportionately on some people rather than others, then how are we supposed to get out of our own self-critical minds long enough to just enjoy ourselves? I am not immune to this, especially with society constantly telling us who is sexy and who isn't. Now, Levi and I get into all of this and more in our interview coming up later in this episode, and I really can't wait for you to hear it. And now, let's get to your calls. This was an email that was sent to me without a voice recording, so my friends are at it again to help me out. Just a reminder that the best way to have your question on the show is to send a voice memo to thelovedoctorpodcast at gmail.com. Today, my good friend Mike is helping me out by reading out this caller's question. So thanks, Mike. This is Mike, your good friend and newly recruited voice actor. Hi, Leah Tidy. I'm a 21-year-old Mexican gay demisexual cisgender man and a huge fan of your husband's YouTube channel and, of course, your participation in his videos and your podcast. 
I have never had a boyfriend, and since I started puberty, I began to feel lots of sexual attraction to men, but have always struggled with the sex part. I have never seen porn or send or receive any types of nudes. I don't feel comfortable around those things, and I live with friends who don't mind to talk about them. I kind of feel as if I'm not experimenting with my body and with my sexuality, as many of my friends are, and when I do it, I feel ashamed most of the time. As a demisexual, there is not much content about people who struggle to open sexually with the people they date. I would love to have an incredible connection and open sexually to someone, but I always hit a wall and never come out of my shell. Thank you for your advice and for your work. Now, there's a lot to unpack in here, so let's get into it. A lot of us feel uncomfortable about our bodies, and that can happen especially when we're young and it's going through all of these different changes and we're trying to figure out what the hell's going on. We can feel overwhelmed when we're starting to feel sexual attraction towards people, but we don't know what to do about it or where to even start. First, talking about it is a great way to start feeling more comfortable, and you've already done that. But it takes a lot of practice to feel comfortable talking about sex regularly, and even I am still working on saying things out in public without whispering and looking over my shoulder to see if anyone is listening. Caller, if you have someone that you are close to, it sounds like some of your friends might be willing and open to talk to you about this, but someone that you trust and feel comfortable with, have a conversation with them and don't worry about it being one conversation. It can be an ongoing conversation about how you're feeling, who are you attracted to, what's their experience, because the more we get to hear other people's stories, the more we can make sense of our own. You also say that you're demisexual. So just so folks know, demisexual means someone who doesn't form a, a sexual connection with someone until after they've built a strong emotional connection. Demisexual is how some folks experience asexuality, and the asexuality primer on the Scarlet Teen website is an amazing resource that talks about asexuality across a wide spectrum. So I highly recommend reading that. Of course, it is linked in the episode description. But after reading this primer, after finding someone that you can talk to, Then you start masturbating. Caller, if you're not into porn and don't feel comfortable with it, however, I highly recommend ethical porn, by the way, and I have mentioned it before on the show, then there are other options for you. There are erotic novels you can read that can focus more on the emotional connection and the relationship before getting into the sex. I remember reading my first erotic novel when I was like 12 or 13, and it was so steamy. Understandably, a lot of them aren't really written that well, but a good trashy romance novel, it can get us feeling turned on and wanting to explore our bodies more. Also, steamy sex scenes are way more common now in TV and in movies, and they're trying to balance a more honest representation of sexual relationships. For starters, try watching Please Like Me on Netflix, which is an Australian-made comedy slash drama about a young gay man, and it's amazing. It really is so funny, and it is one of the shows that, regardless of who you are or how you identify, it is really just a heartwarming and also heart-wrenching story about this young man's life. And listeners, if you're interested, one of my very dear friends has sent me a list of all of their favorite like queer TV shows and movies, and I have been pestering them to come on the podcast and tell you about some of their favorites. Now, it's a resource that I have been loving, and I would love to share it with all of you. So I'm going to go pester them a bit more, and hopefully we'll hear from them soon. Also, caller, as a young gay man, there are a lot of stereotypes that you're probably facing. Now, gay stereotypes are often about having a lot of sex and always being down for sex. In fact, Carpenter, in one of the books that I cite quite often called Sex for Life, they talk about masculinity in sexual scripts, and they say that 
Men who do not exhibit the high levels of desire that men are, in quotes, supposed to possess, may have their masculinity and their heterosexual identity or their status as a normally lusty gay man, it might have it called into question. Now, these shitty stereotypes are creating experiences of shame with anyone who doesn't fit the stereotype, and that's actually a lot of people. We need to get away from these stereotypes and realize that each of our experiences is going to be formed by the way that we were raised, the way that we understand ourselves in the world. And that starts with looking at shame and realizing that that doesn't belong to us. It was not something we were born with or something that is tragically flawed within us, but rather shame is what society keeps telling us about how to behave, how to be sexual, how to not be sexual, and how we are supposed to move through the world. You've already done that first step caller and that you reached out and took some of the power away from those feelings of shame. And the messages that we receive about sexuality and gender and how it should be, it can be different depending on where we live. I found this great article on the Scarletteen website called Machismo, How Toxic Masculinity Harms Latinx People. And the person that's being interviewed specifically talks about her experience of living in Mexico since 1986. I highly recommend checking it out. Now, I also mentioned the I Think I Might Be Asexual article in Spanish and in English in episode 9, and it's an incredible resource in how to talk about sexual orientation and how to build healthy relationships that are emotionally and sexually satisfying. I hope some of these resources will help you call her in getting out of your shell and feeling more comfortable not only in your own body, but also when you start to explore relationships with someone else. Let's take another call. Hello, Leah. I just wanted to thank you for all of your hard work that you put into this podcast. I really appreciate what you do. Before I ask my question, just a little bit of a background. I am in my second year of college, and I was raised in the Mormon church. But as of December of 2019, I decided to leave the church. I have been in one whole relationship It was with a cis male, and I identify as a cis female. My ex was my first ever experience with anything sexual, and since him, I have not been with anybody else. And recently, I have been questioning my sexuality, if I am straight or bisexual, and I've been feeling a little confused, and I don't know how to go about this feeling and what to do with it, and I can't really explore it with COVID going on. There's not really a time or an opportunity to meet new people, and it's also not safe. So I'm asking you for your advice and what you think um, would be helpful for me and how to go about this and not feel so lost. So thank you so much, Leah. Thank you so much, caller. This this really got me like right in the feels since, you know, I'm bisexual and I really, I actually struggled for a long time to really own that identity. It's still something that I think about and I navigate all the time. So I don't know if that's comforting or not, but sexuality, it's a lifelong process that will evolve and change as we age. Now let's start with the Mormon church. I am not a religious person. And even though I grew up around the Anglican church, that's about as religious as I got. Actually, both of my older siblings are baptized and I'm not, which, you know, I'm not really bothered by, but my grandma, when she was still around, she was pretty convinced that I wasn't going to get into heaven, but my siblings were. 
Anyway, just to say it's a long process of unpacking what we've been taught about ourselves and the world, and to get a better understanding, I did some reading about the Mormon church. So I read an article called Conditioned to Lying, How Mormon Sexual Questioning is Child Abuse. Now, it's written by an ex-Mormon missionary who, even though knowing he was attracted to men in his early teens, he didn't come out as gay until he was 40. It was a very insightful read into the type of sexual messages that followers of the Mormon church receive. Now, I wanted to get kind of a balanced representation, so I also read an article called Mormons and Shame from the Meridian magazine. And you know what? It started out with a really promising quote by Dr. Brene Brown. So the author cites Dr. Brene Brown saying that shame is a universal emotion defined by the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. Shame inspires us to hide ourselves from others, to judge ourselves, and to go deeper into secretive behaviors. Now, it explicitly says that talking about shame and guilt isn't done enough in the Mormon church, but the author does talk about empathy. They mention empathy as the most important thing that you can do to address shame. And caller, I think practicing a little self-empathy is a great way to start. You've embarked on a new part of your life by leaving the church, and you're thinking deeply about your sexual orientation. Understandably, it's scary, and I'm sorry that you're feeling lost. So try practicing a little empathy with yourself and know that you don't need to decide whether you're straight or bisexual right away. It can emerge as you learn more about yourself and who you're attracted to. So how do you know if you're bisexual? I'm going to tell you a bit about my experience, but I also highly recommend reading the Advocates for Youth article called I Think I Might Be Bisexual. And this, of course, is linked in the episode description, and it also has an English and a Spanish version. Did you know over 15 million people in the United States alone are bisexual, and 40% of LGBT plus people identify as bisexual? That's pretty amazing. It just felt like this sense of community, which is really cool, especially in the world today. So for myself, I didn't have like an aha moment of, oh, gee, I'm bisexual. But it was something that I thought about for a long time. I kept asking myself why I felt so excited when I was watching women make out on the L word and why I also felt excited when my elementary school crush would pass me a note and his hand would brush mine. Now, what might help you in investigating these feelings is thinking about the questions that the Advocates for Youth article suggest. Now, lastly, what does this mean during COVID times and trying to explore all of that safely? Uh, I would recommend checking out different dating apps, especially Bumble, which is a great option, and you can connect with someone online and start chatting. COVID, of course, has thrown dating into this total whirlwind, and all of us are trying to get creative to find ways to stay connected. But chatting with someone online and talking to different people, it might give you some insight into who you're attracted to. Now, while I casually dated and kissed a few girls when I was in my teens, It wasn't until later in life that I finally had the courage to act on my feelings for folks with vulvas, and it was so affirming. And that started on a dating app, where I chatted with a bunch of different people, and I kept checking in with myself on how I was feeling and who I was feeling attracted to. Now, I hope that this helps, and the last resource I'll mention is a list of amazing books and resources from the Island Sexual Health website. I just started reading Come As You Are by Dr. Emily Nagoski, and I cannot recommend it enough. And now, 
Just a little bit of feedback before we get to my interview with Levi. I'm trying out this feedback section, and I really want to know if you have any thoughts or ideas that you want to share with me. Have I missed something? Is there something that you want me to talk about? Please let me know. You can send me a voice memo to the Love Doctor Podcast at gmail.com, or even just send me a voice message through Instagram, and I'll share it totally anonymously on the show. This is from the caller who sent in their question on episode 12 of The Love Doctor, and having this kind of immediate feedback was just amazing to keep the momentum going. So thank you so much. I wanted to say thank you so much for giving me a chance to be on the podcast and also express my sincere gratitude to your friend that gave my email a voice. I also want to tell you that I did it. After listening to The Love Doctor today, I felt so encouraged and ready to explore everything with my husband by my side. I talked to my husband and I told him the way I felt for all those years, the shame, the stigma, taboo, all of it. Talked with him about what I have been reading and have heard in your podcasts. He was so receptive about everything and he clearly understands the cultural impact we have here. It was so hard and emotional for me, but I'm so happy I could discuss this issue with him. I love him so much, and this has been my biggest secret that I kept from him for so long. You can't imagine the huge impact your work has caused on my life, as in many others, for sure. And now, here is my interview with my hubby and YouTube extraordinaire, Levi Hildebrand. Hi, darling. Hello. I mean, maybe I shouldn't say hi, darling, at the beginning. Hello, Levi, Jacob Hildebrand. Yes. (laughs) When I initially reached out to you, you know, I was a bit nervous that maybe you, uh, I don't know, like, I don't know if I have enough followers. Is this enough social clout to get you on the show? You know what, Dr. Tidy, I just respect your work so much. I I thought it was a perfect opportunity for us to finally connect in this way. Finally. I'm so glad that we're able to connect on this level. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) Okay, so I've actually had a lot of people who are interested in hearing your opinion on many things. A lot of people know that you have your YouTube channel, Levi Save the World Hildebrand, but they've wanted to know not only about like sustainability, but also about our relationship. And one of the most recent questions I talked about last week on the podcast was how we were able to maintain momentum in our professional lives, especially for me doing my PhD but also in our relationship and what that looks like in and out of the bedroom. So on a scale of one to 10, how present was I in our relationship when I was doing my PhD? Oh God. I I think that for starters, we have to acknowledge that you are a very attentive partner in general to begin with. So if the balance of attentiveness in our relationship is normally at 70-30, with you being the more attentive one and me being the less attentive one, (laughs) then that puts the number I'm about to say in perspective, Mm. which would be like varying between a two and a five. (laughs) My attentiveness? Yes. Which for me is was debilitating because I (laughs) am just not used to that. Like I'm I'm used to being the one who requires more attentiveness not being the one having to provide it and and so we went through this like real role reversal where I had to like you know make sure that you were taking time for yourself and that I listened to you as you dealt with stressful things and and usually I'm the one with the stressful job that is uh, requiring some external support Mm -hmm. so 
You can also realize that this is the first fall that we've been together that I'm not a student. Yeah. <laughs> we've been together yeah. for seven years. And we met, because I know you're all nosy, all the listeners right now. Uh, we met in my second year of university at UVic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't feel like your undergrad fully prepares you for grad school. And, like, the fact that you were in the Netherlands for the beginning of that was really hard, but also probably really good for both of us to establish that routine. But you're right. Like, when you came home, I had established such a routine of, like, looking after myself and my schooling. Mm. But then we had to totally recalibrate. And basically, my PhD and your YouTube channel, they respond in that same September. Yeah. And we've been working on them ever since, side by side. Yeah, and I I think that that's like when the person who asks the question is talking about how you maintain a relationship through that. I think it really comes down to what a relationship should be in the first place and what that relationship is founded on. Like for for us, it has always been first and foremost a practical partnership Mm. that makes sense in a bunch of really unsexy ways. We work well together. We are opposites who have attracted, and those qualities really help and reinforce our external goals that we have in life. This was not about the lusting for something that we could not have. This was not about the creation of some sort of narrative that we needed to fulfill for ourselves that was founded out of some kind of insecurity we had from childhood. This was both of us being extremely privileged people to have supportive families and role models who showed what supportive relationships look like, and then working quite hard to dispel societal expectations and then also make a real clear effort to establish what we actually wanted and to create that reality with another person in partnership. That sounds a lot like your wedding vows. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> it's eerily similar because I am a total romantic. And it was interesting that that what I also found just so deeply romantic, and maybe you wouldn't characterize it that way, but was how practical, like even in your wedding vows, you were like, practically, this makes sense. You're like emotionally, sexually, all these other things, we're very compatible But like you said, it's that basis in partnership that it it just made me feel, I don't know, like it it felt like a spouse, but it felt like more than that in some ways. So Mm -hmm. while I'm very proud to be your wife, I'm also very proud to just be like your life partner. And so sometimes I still stumble when I say, oh, my husband or my partner, because none of those words fully encompass, I think, what we do for each other. And that's on the channel. It's on the podcast. That's in our daily lives. Like it's trying to support each other to be the best that you can be and recognizing that in your partner and trying to foster that in whatever way you can. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I think that, you know, I of course espouse my beliefs on how the relationship is so practical and, you know, <laughs> functional and the many <laughs> facets that we have created. Um, But it's your romanticism that made it happen in the first place. Mm, That's true. You know, that that romance and that sort of uh, human need for story and, 
you know, dynamics and conflict and, and all those things that we build into so many of the films and the music, musical genres that we love is what made this all happen in the first place. I, I would have, I would have probably never pursued you because the truth is I don't really pursue people. I'm not, I'm not that interested in romance. Uh, you know, I'm a very practical, straightforward kind of person, except when it comes to being an idiot. Um, <laughs> and, and romance just kind of seemed too complicated, but you, you just, made it so clear that I was going to have to really consider whether or not I wanted you in my life because you just would not leave me alone. <laughs> I was tenacious. Yeah, and you created you created a, a, an expectation that you were the right person for me and you just pushed and pushed and pushed until I was forced to like actually sit down and go, okay, okay, all right. So <laughs> what do I actually want? Is this what I want? And I know that, you know, from the outside, it looks like we've just created this super symbiotic relationship that you know we're super stoked to have but that balance was not always as cohesive as it is now you know we maintained in less functional and less uh healthy ways mm. earlier on in our relationship for sure definitely well and i think it's so easy when you see other folks online like i was talking to steph and caitlin from let's see the world and how when you are curating your relationship online Obviously, you're highlighting all of these great ways you support each other. We have great communication, but it's not like we started day one and that was the thing. Like mm-hmm. We had to work really hard to get to that point. And I just feel like for a lot of folks who are, you know, feeling alone and bereft, especially in the world right now, and are seeking not only like love, but like relationships and connection, that it's easy to get overwhelmed by all of these things you consume. And you just think that... Mm-hmm. Well, I can never have that thing because I should just be able to fall into it. And what we've talked about a lot in our relationship is that it's that daily act of choosing that other person. You know, it's not necessarily like soulmates. And if it doesn't work out right away, then, well, it wasn't meant to be. It's like, well, love and relationships and all those things, like it takes a lot of work to get there. And that's the same thing with sex as well. Like you can't just like sometimes you just have sex with someone and it's awesome. Like right off the bat, you're totally like compatible yeah, yeah. and things are flowing and it's great but other times it takes a long time to feel comfortable to have that conversation with someone to say this is what brings me pleasure or could you touch me in this way or let Mm -hmm. me show you what works for me in my body and you're really the only person that I've built that relationship with where I have been able to say that and Mm -hmm. I've had multiple relationships before you and it never got to that point I don't know. and long-term relationships as well yes, and that's the same for me i mean i i think that that's part of the misnomer that we have around the language of finding love mm. rather than creating it like you just mm. like wander into the woods and discover true love like, like a chanterelle mushroom or something yeah like it's it's this <laughs> abstract sort of revelation that we're all expected to sort of achieve without really the the hard work that we expect in so many other things you know we valorize oh my just work hard just work hard and you'll get what you want you know just put in the days put in the hours ten thousand hours you can be a master of anything oh but like figuring out how to live with another person intimately romantically and professionally for every single day of your entire life no that you just find 
Yeah, he just it just it. appears. This perfect match that just yeah. fits with you. Yeah, you just you, they just appear there, and you go, ah, oh, great. <laughs> That's sorted. <laughs> ah, thank God I didn't have to think about that for forty years. <laughs> And that's and and that that maintenance aspect is a less sexy term for the creative and creation aspect of romance and love and and sex. Like right now, we have sex like once a week, maybe. It's because also we live with my parents. Yeah, and and during a lot of the tougher times, not tougher times, but the times that are less romantic are yeah, like that's very common, you know, mm. because. Like, I lived in the Netherlands for six months, and we went months and months and months without having any kind of intimate contact. And, you know, when you were doing your PhD, yeah, you weren't exactly down to bang. And that's Not fair. Like regularly. No, and there's definitely... What was interesting is that it came in ebbs and flows, right? Yeah. Like, I was doing my candidacy exams, and that was a time where I was like, this month, I need all of my mental capacity to go towards this. And I feel like you were very understanding of that, but it all, you know, it kind of goes yeah. both ways. Like when you're coming up on a deadline or working on something and something that I find kind of interesting is that people are always talking about, Oh, you should be having sex like this many times a week or like your relationship is broken or what oh, does that mean? Your marriage. Well, that's what I don't understand is that we're all individuals. Like we don't expect all of our like noses to look the same or our hair to grow the same way. So why do we expect that each of us need to have sex a certain number of times a week to feel sexually fulfilled? Right. Yeah. Well, we treat it like it's like, it's like how many times you should charge your cell phone or how often (laughs) you should charge your cell phone. It's like, yeah, but we're not a battery. We, you know, we're an organism that exists in an infinitesimally complex way that we'll never fully understand. So saying that this is right and this is wrong is always going to be a simplification of of what we actually need, which is Mm. the ability to be flexible and creative with how we do things. And I, I think sex is a you know, indicator of health in a relationship, but it's certainly not the measure that you should go by for the entirety of its complexity. Oh, definitely. Well, two things that I want to touch on on that is first is that our brains are the biggest sex organs we have anyway. Mm. So what's going on like mentally for us is a huge part of, you know, being sexual, wanting to be sexual, but sometimes different types of sex, that's maybe not the kind of intimacy or, support that you're looking for in that moment because sometimes it's something where we feel like we've reconnected and we've we've kind of come back to our foundation and it's like okay so now we've connected and we've been together in this really intimate way but other times that's us going for a walk and like working through mentally what both of us are going through in our jobs or in our families or you know Mm -hmm. what's happening but I feel like that's just as intimate of an experience even though we've created all of this taboo and stuff around sex, or it's like the the pillar of successful relationships. Right. Yeah. The, the, the sex that you have, it should always kind of be evolving. And, and I find that, especially when we're in cycles like this, when we're working a lot and we're in a circumstance, that's not totally what we're used to. Mm-hmm. Our sex is usually quite restorative. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. we have sex that is quite, intimate it's personal it's built around a a a communication of support rather than like 
oh, yeah, you're so hot, and, like, we're going to have weird, kinky sex right now, because <laughs> that doesn't reflect reality. That's that's the reality for us. When when we have time and we're in a space where we're comfortable and we've, we've got our lives externally kind of managed, mm-hmm. yeah, we can have more interesting sex. That, that can happen. But mm-hmm. to try and, like, force some new, like kinky thing you want to try when like your brain is already maxed out with all the stuff and crap that you have to do in your life no the sex that you have with your partner should be like a a release of stress it should be something that comforts you and makes you feel loved and supported in ways that words can't Mm. that's exactly the kind of restorative sex we even call it that afterwards we're like oh that was so restorative Do we call it that? That sounds so you said old. That the other day. Ew! <laughs> I hate that I said that. You did. You totally did. We're in the afterglow, and you're like, "Oh, that was so restorative." I'm like, "Should I be like offended? Is that a compliment?" Well, you just called it the afterglow, so I suppose we're just equally as granola. The afterglow is a thing. It's the when you're enjoying the sensations in your body after you've had an orgasm. It just sounds like something that a white woman would say after yoga. <laughs> you can have an afterglow after yoga. Oh my sort God. of physical release. I'm not uh, a yoga teacher. I thought about becoming one. Did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> now, what I find interesting, and I've mentioned your YouTube channel a few times on here, because obviously it's such an integral part of my life as well. When you first started, it was kind of a solo endeavor. But more and more so, it's become about our relationship and how we also like live our lives. That's going to be, you know, the best for us and for the planet. And people seem to be so intrigued with like the Q and a video. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. You had like bisexual married three times. Like you had all these things that people were interested in. And what I find so fascinating about that is that we were quite honest about our relationship. And it's one of the videos that you got a lot of engagement on, but you actually lost subscribers as mm. well. Can you just kind of talk about that, kind of that conundrum having both of those things happen? I think um, it's the it's the balance that I think a lot of creators online are trying to balance in which you are learning with this podcast and with, oh, yes. you know, a growing Instagram following that you might not have asked for, is is the, the sort of narrative that you create online and then the unfortunate reality that you cannot forever be in the box that you created for yourself. Mm-hmm. It's It was a very strategic move for me to be as center as possible with the YouTube channel, to be as middle of the road, as unpolitical as I could. I never say the word climate change in any videos mm-hmm. that I've ever made. It's never in the title. It's never in the hashtags. I go out of my way to keep a conversation open for anybody who chooses to participate. Mm. And I think that that video lost subscribers because of bisexuality in the in the thumbnail. Well, somebody even said, you know, this channel has become too progressive for me, unsubscribe. They didn't say it like hatefully or whatever else. No. It's just like this is too progressive. Yeah. And and I think that that's that's an interesting indicator because it has become more progressive the more that we've included our lives in it. Back in the day when I was making videos about Patagonia and about Arcteryx and about the shoes that I was wearing, the the engagement was all very surface level. It was all about, 
oh, I disagree. This brand is better because they get their things manufactured in Bangladesh instead of in China and all these things that are just people's opinions that, that don't really go much deeper than the surface. And yeah, we're, our lives are complex and they're usually political. If you, if, if you are a person with a heartbeat, you probably have a political leaning and ours is liberal and we openly put that in the, in the video. And I, I think that for a lot of our audience, that was a moment of, oh, interesting. I never saw them in that way. Or I was surprised by this particular conversation because that's not what I thought of when I saw his review of Birkenstocks. Right. I think what has also changed as well is that the climate of the world is changing. Like our, mm. you know, personal beliefs and our daily practices. And I think that's something that's hard about our businesses are online. And so, of course, you want to be a voice to stand up against injustice or inequality, right? But I think especially with Black Lives Matter movement and awareness of like indigenous folks and the really terrible legacy, the colonial legacy that Canada has, like it's something that we need to be aware of, like especially as like white cis folks in Canada. And it's something that has always been a part of how we move through the world anyway. But it was it was kind of like we had pulled back the curtain and said, you know, we've always believed these things, but we're seeing now that it's important for us to indicate to other people that this is what we believe and why. And to be more overt in that. And 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 for some people, it's interesting that it can be too progressive. You don't want to feel like you're virtue signaling to someone, mm. but you're but you're also trying to create a conversation where you don't just want to talk to the folks who already believe in equality. That's mm -hmm. great. But we're not changing any minds here. We need to talk to people from all walks of life and engage them in conversations. And that I didn't think I realized how much I identified with that until I started creating this podcast because so often on your channel, and I actually never really thought about that, that you don't specifically say climate change, but it's so clearly you believe in climate change. You believe in the science behind it. Mm -hmm. But you're trying to create that middle ground where people can come together and learn. And that's what I'm trying to do on this podcast as well, because I want it to be a queer inclusive space. I want it to be a BIPOC inclusive space. And I also want folks who are like straight or heterosexual to feel like they also are heard here. And so it, it, it's trying to hold all of those things in balance. It can, it's, I think it's difficult. It, like it's that whole trying to hold that is, is quite difficult in well, like I release four videos a month and and how am I ever supposed to articulate my personal beliefs on every possible issue that exists in the world in four videos in one month? You know, like that's that that limits you in so many measurable ways. But then on top of that, I, I think that it is the job of a creator to be really deliberate about the space that they create online. And, mm -hmm. and I think that your podcast was influenced by the creation of the YouTube channel, because Absolutely. I think we talked about it so much, like mm -hmm. every decision that's made on the channel is partially ran, run through you. Yeah. And I think that that's just a narrative that we've created. Cause yeah, like I, I make sure that every video that I make would be palatable for my uncle, you know, <laughs> a, a man who is not like, particularly bothered with the environment doesn't you know think about it every single day but like probably realizes that like yeah we should we should do more for the earth you know mm -hmm. but he's not going to go out of his way to like 
you know, buy a Tesla just to, like, save the planet. Yeah. It is that person. It's that person that will make the difference. And I, I don't think that we realize that enough because the more... And I, I I don't like even using the word radicalized because it's become this like contentious term. But like the more extreme and periphery our views become, the more difficult it is to relate to one another. And that's mm. when real division starts happening. Like I want somebody to find my channel, disagree with my views, but unfortunately still like me. That's the dream because if they can hate you, they can ignore everything that you say. Mm-hmm. But if you are an approachable and calm, rational person who explains things in a way that is not trying to divide or, you know, subjugate people in one way or another, then you can exist as a, as a voice in their head mm. that they can't really fully disagree with because they, they, they have to respect you as a person. At a certain level, they go, yeah, yeah I mean... I think it's really lame that Levi thinks that way, but God, it would be really, really, really I wish I, I kind of wish I could be his friend, <laughs> you know? And, and so maybe one day through the YouTube channel, through the, through the podcast, you know, we create a community of people who just kind of think we're cool. That's, that's the whole point is yeah. The environment, sexual health and, and all of those things that we believe in are the, focuses that's what we that's our conversation that we put out online but the backbone is this is who we are as people do you want to hang out with us yeah a part of that too and we've talked about this a lot is leveraging the privilege that we have in order to open up that conversation absolutely and you make that so apparent especially in the last video that you did about wearing the exact same outfit for 30 days and nobody said anything. And I mean, like, I obviously knew because I had to take photos of you every day wearing that same gray t-shirt and like shorts combo. But what I find so interesting and I, what I appreciate and what you do, I'm obviously biased because I'm married to you, but also is that you have a way of acknowledging your privilege and signaling the things that are important to you without being overt. And what a few people have said, commented on this video as well, is they're like, so what would be the difference if Leah did this challenge? Mm-hmm. Like, as a woman, how would it be different if I wore the same outfit for 30 days? And would people comment and notice? I obviously have my opinions on what that would be like, but I'm interested, what do you think would be different about that? I, I, I don't think that it would actually be as crazy as people think. I, I think that we create narratives about these sorts of things, you know, like everybody will refer to the, you know, the, t- the video that they watched where like a Fox News host and his female counterpart both did something similar to this where he wore the same thing and she wore the same thing and everybody like lost their minds because she was, you know, not changing her clothes or whatever. And then there was this commentary on that. But I, I, I think that that's, of course, a microcosm. You know, perhaps it's that news network and the demographics that they particularly attract. But, you know, all these examples where these things happen are, you know, not representative of the whole. And it's it's always going to have nuance and it's always going to have subtlety that we are always unwilling to acknowledge. It's so much easier to just say every Trump supporter is an idiot. 
every Democrat is right, you know, red is red, blue is blue, the earth is round, and we all should live in a particular way. That would just be so much easier because then we can vilify people and feel good about ourselves. But always having to acknowledge that nuance is is difficult and it's the stuff that people would just rather ignore when you know the world feels like it's falling apart well yeah in a lot of ways it does feel we were talking about this on our morning walk we have this idyllic morning walk and we look out at the ocean and we're like we feel in some ways hopeless and not knowing what to do about the state of the world and we get to go out and be in nature every day. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a part of our daily routine. And so what does that look like for folks who don't have the same privilege that we do? But I think you're right. I, in some ways, I'm thinking about like the challenge and how gender plays into that. And that's something interesting to me. But that's also where race comes into it and socioeconomic mm-hmm. status. Like you could wear the same outfit for 30 days and no one's going to say something about, oh, well, he's white and that's why he's wearing the same outfit every day. Or, oh, he clearly doesn't have enough money to own anybody else. Like yeah. no one's going to make a comment about, you know, broad sweeping things. That would happen yeah. to if you were a black man who had done the same thing, if you were of a different socioeconomic status, um, if you were queer, like so many other different things. Mm-hmm. And so I know I feel like that's a fine balancing act of you're holding space so that people can meet in the middle but what about the folks whose voices we don't hear from enough? Like, so yeah. how do you balance that in your work, that tension? I, I think that that's, that is the importance of the, the middle. Mm. And, and yes, like I could be the most vocal, um, progressive white male on the internet. And I could create that sort of force for good that a lot of left leaning people would like to see in the world. Mm. But I think that more and more. In fact, we need to see that there is a place in the middle. The, the, the world is not as fragmented as it seems. We, we aren't actually as polar opposite as the internet wants us to be. We're, mm. we're all people. And like, frankly, we're all just kind of like, what the hell is going on? Can we calm down for a minute? This is absolutely absurd. And I think that by representing a a sort of lens that is not overtly, we need to shut these people down, this is crazy, or, um, you know, I can't believe that people want rights, <laughs> like what I did with the, the one shirt, um, one outfit challenge, mm-hmm. I simply said, notice how Leah's not doing this challenge. She's not doing this because... It is more difficult than for for women to be socially accepted wearing a single outfit. And I poke a little joke at Matt Diavella because he wears a gray shirt every single day. And then at the end of the video, I explain that I understand that it's probably easier for me to do this than people who use clothing as a form of expression. And then I showcase various BIPOC and queer uh, Instagram accounts that I follow. And that doesn't... people listen to that and they don't go, oh, this guy, you know, like, why has everything got to be so political? Why are we going to talk about everything? Like, everybody's got feelings, blah, blah, Like, it's like, no, I'm I'm just simply displaying my worldview in a way that is approachable for other people to digest. And that, for, I think, both sides is not extreme enough. People feel like, yeah, but you should say more. You should stand up for those things. 
okay, we're saying that and we're just seeing people run further and further away from each other. Mm. And I, I just, I just feel like there isn't harm in some of us creating some space in the middle where perhaps we can have a conversation. Mm. Is that true? I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm testing that. That's what this channel is all about. It's from the beginning. It was supposed to be, you don't need to be a hero to save the planet. And notice how there's no political leaning there. This is not about yeah. right or left. It's just... You don't need to be a Democrat to save the planet. Or yeah, yeah, no. Like, you don't have to be a good person to save the planet. Like, you know, yeah. like, it's, it's just a very casual, depoliticized attempt at creating conversation, which... Like, it's it's difficult to even explain. And I think people it find it difficult to hear because they feel so in, internally that there's a conflict there that isn't being spoken to. Mm. And that in and of itself is kind of the point. Well, I think a big part of that is, is like you said, online, we are pushed to consume things that push us to the right or to the left mm-hmm. where we're get into that algorithm and you're sent more and more things that, you know, align with the values that you've indicated online Yeah, and you don't see or hear from the other side. And that's the whole thing. There isn't quite just one other side. The whole point is that there's so many different opinions happening at yeah. once. And I'm interested to see what folks think about this because it, it could be quite an unpopular opinion, especially in terms of like, social justice warriors and things like that. And something that I really pride myself on being very aware and very conscious and doing my part in terms of like activism and things like that. But at the same time, being an accessible resource for people. So in some ways, I guess I'm kind of relating it like back to the podcast. And this is my own framing for talking about sexual health. I'm not going to go straight to talking about sounding which is, you know, putting metal rods into the urethra, which for some folks, that's totally their thing. Dan Savage talks about it on his podcast. Right. But I'm not Dan Savage. I'm not a queer icon. I'm a middle-class white married to a guy, you know, Canadian woman. So how do I hold the space for, you know, a lot of the time, like cis straight dudes, they need to have these conversations about sex. Mm -hmm. But me vilifying white men... Mm -hmm is not going to get them to come to this podcast and learn something new and enact that in their own lives. Yeah. But I also want to be a really queer inclusive space because as a bisexual woman, I am queer. So how do I balance those things? And like you said, it's, it's, it's so much easier to, to see the world in that binary. And I think because a lot of us are living more and more of our lives online right now because of COVID, it's easier to think that, you yeah. either see the world this way or that way. I think even like leading up to this bloody election in the <laughs> States is, is, is tearing us kind of at the seams. Whereas this is the time that you need to listen deeply to other people. Yeah. I, I, I think listening is, is key and that listening is, is difficult when you do hear the language of division in in like you'll you'll hear certain phrases you know like climate denier mm-hmm. uh climate change you know uh the radical left antifa all of these terms 
are things that trigger individuals into feeling a certain way. Yeah, it's and, an emotional sounding for people. Yeah, and we've we've there's that documentary that that just came out about um, social media and how basically it's it's Jimmy rigged our brains into making money for corporations, and it's those trigger words that they're using to keep us on the internet. Why do you think news agencies? right and left use all those kinds of terminologies it's because it sucks us in and and makes us feel things that are for better or for worse real fears and and challenges that we internally need to process and i think that people who speak in those languages are important i don't think that activism is necessarily only that kind of language but i think that spectrum thinking with anything is important you you need both because there's some people who will be converted and who will receive that language for what it is which is a a, a call for help you know like they need that that real guttural holy shit everything is screwed if i don't do this kind of moment and that's that's important for those people and i think that that's the the voice that my channel and maybe your podcast will attract is those people who are like, look, yeah, like, I I don't know, like climate change. Sure. It's a big deal. But like, what the hell are we going to do? Like, I'm, am I going to freaking save the planet? Not really, you know, but they watch my videos and they make small changes and that influences how they vote or it influences mm-hmm. their, you know, trajectory as a human, as their opinions change and they gain more influence in their lives. If I can influence a 22-year-old white man today who goes on to be a 45-year-old CEO of a multi-billion dollar corporation, that's massive influence. Maybe I'm not the radical one. Maybe the radical person wasn't enough to reach him because he saw it as crazy. But the middle person might just be enough to grasp and, and reach for somebody like that. I think what you're getting on to is... There's a difference between shaming someone to quote unquote do the right thing mm-hmm. or to change in some way or to be more aware. Guilt. Yeah, you're you're working from a shame and guilt, and that happens especially when we're talking about sex. We shame people mainly to not do certain mm. things. Yeah. But instead coming at them with for me I would say love, but in a lot of other ways, coming at them with like an open hand above being like, This is what I have to offer and Let's let's have a conversation about that. Yeah. I just find, you know, as someone who is, you know, becoming an educator and I've worked in academia for multiple years now and being in that space, you realize when you work with with students and with learners that what is going to get them excited is you being like, oh, I wonder about this and this. Let's ask questions together yeah. to figure out what that's going to be instead of. You did that wrong. Now you need to do this. Mm-hmm. So it's it's coming from really you just want to inspire curiosity. Yeah, you're creating conversation rather than dictating narratives. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as you say that something is a certain way, you can create a yes or a no answer to that. Yeah. Well, as soon as you say that, then you're like, well, you have to be a virgin before you get married. You've created 
like one perfect quote unquote way of doing that and a multitude of ways in mm-hmm. which to get that wrong, in which to yeah. feel shame and to not live up to that ideal. There's lots of bunny quotes happening here, folks. I was not a virgin when I got married. <laughs> Neither was Levi. <laughs> well, and, and look at our relationship. You know, we yeah. put bisexual in the title of a video and a certain portion of the population went, nope, that's not how it's supposed to be. I can imagine a certain amount of people being like, that's not real. <laughs> or, mm-hmm. or, you know what, maybe she's a straight woman who's trying to be edgy or maybe she's actually a lesbian but has deluded herself and married a man and yeah. i'm like oh and then there's probably a other side of it that a whole group of people that went yes oh my god bisexual visibility yes. thank god somebody's talking about this i feel this so personally this is so amazing wow i feel seen and accepted amazing and then there was a big 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 population in the middle like 90%. The vast majority of people saw that video and went, wait, what? I'm sorry. So she's married to a guy? What does that mean? And then they watched that video. And they learned something new. Boom. Oh. I mean, I don't want to say we're like change makers, Levi. <laughs> but like, boom. I mean, this, this is, is our happening. this is our theory, right? This is this is the assumptions that we've made. And and yes. it's not really ever going to be like for sure yep this is the mathematical impact that we had on the planet because of course gray areas nuance Mm -hmm. spectrums that's how the world works but you you can't think that it's not doing something to 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 create a conversation that is not currently there can't be that bad if your intentions are good yeah and and this journey is evolving every single day. Like the videos that blew up my channel are videos that no one would have associated with environmentalism videos about jackets, Mm -hmm. Birkenstock sandals, scooters. All of those things have nothing to do with the planet objectively on the surface, but actually have a lot to do with the choices that we make in our lives that impact the planet. Exactly. And that's that's the power of storytelling. And that's the that's the narratives that we're trying to deconstruct and reconstruct mm-hmm. as as two individuals, as us. But yeah, I don't know. I I I'm curious always to see what people's perceptions are from the outside. Because mm-hmm. th- this is the creator has this theory, this idea in their minds, you know, whether it's the you don't need to be a hero to save the planet, whether it's research-informed advice. Mm-hmm. These ideas of this is what I would like to create and this is the world that I would like to contribute to. Hearing what that community sees from the outside looking in is always a very... It's different, but it's always interesting to see where they catch little glimpses of it. Well, it's at that point where anyone who creates something and puts it out into the world, once you have put it out there, it no longer belongs to you. Mm -hmm. As soon as we're done recording this interview and I edit it and I release it, it's no longer mine. It's no longer ours. It's yours, listener. You are the one who is going to make meaning. You are the one who's going to, I don't know, have a a conversation. Mobilize it. Exactly. And as much as we can come at it with this is our intention, this is the, the research behind it or our thoughts behind it or everything else, that doesn't ultimately matter. It matters how this information is then being used in the world. Yeah, and I I think 
this, and I mean the tangent of this podcast is crazy. We went, <laughs> we are, we are on one, everybody. And if you're still listening, that's amazing. Well done. And I, I'm trying to bring reason to it. And yeah. I think that maybe what that is is individuals' ability to create conversation. Mm. You know the the dinner party that you're going to have the you know, family gathering that you're going to have, the friend who you're going to have a difficult conversation with, those conversations are more powerful than the videos that I will create or the podcasts that you will create in a number of ways. Because you're you're face-to-face with somebody. It's much harder to create binary situations when you are connecting personally with another human being. Yeah. And your ability to recognize and represent those nuances are the most important thing that you can do. And that's in and out of the bedroom. This is also, <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> you think everything's perfect? Ask Leah about my tone. <laughs> Maybe you can tell by his tone. That, uh... Am I giving you his tone right now? I can't tell. <laughs> Levi's a little tone deaf. No, I, I can sing pretty well, but yeah, when it... When it... <laughs> When it comes to, uh, you know, me processing difficult feelings on a particular subject or frustration around certain circumstances, my tone can be less than ideal. That's okay. I love you. Tone and all. Oh, work to be done. Work to be done. Always. Always. Anything else that you're thinking, want to say? What do you want people to know, Levi? If you made it this far, well done. Come on, give them a little juicy something about us. Like, uh... Uh, am I the best sexual partner you've ever had? Um. Why are you thinking about this? <laughs> well, I I don't know. I mean, I've had a few sexual partners in mm. my life. Um, I'd say that you're the best sexual partner, n- not because we did the craziest stuff or you know any kind of weird socially imposed thing like that, but just because we've created the healthiest relationship around sex like you know maybe there was some really crazy sex that i had with somebody i didn't know or something that that might on the surface like if it were documented in a creepy peephole camera they would have been like damn that was some interesting stuff but like the 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 i don't know the depth that we've reached is far far beyond anything that that i've experienced so you know, you get the gold star. What I heard is I was the best lay that you've ever had. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you get the and, ribbon. And keep having. It's not just like ever. Oh, that's like right. That's no, you it. just, you constantly, you just yeah. set in the bar every time. Every time. It's mm-hmm. just like, wow. Yeah, I guess you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me today and listening to the Love Doctor podcast. You can check out Levi's video about wearing the same outfit for 30 days on his channel, Levi Save the World Hildebrand. And of course, there's a link in the episode description. Next week on the show, I'm attending a conference all about sex research in Canada, so I'll be mixing it up by sharing my work with you. And, you know, I may even sing you a song about condoms. So if you have questions that you want to ask, send a voice memo to thelovedoctorpodcast at gmail.com and I will do my darndest to get it on the show. You can also check me out on Instagram or Twitter. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review. Till then, folks, stay healthy, stay safe, 
stay consensual.